Hello and welcome to the Mortgage and Real Estate Podcast by Pinnacle. My name is Chris Giannino, and as usual, I am joined by my brother, Pete Giannino. And today, uh, we're very excited about today's guest. Um, We are in Brentwood, um, and we're meeting with the co-founder and president of Visionary Wealth Advisors, um, Tim Hammett. Tim acts as the leader of Visionary's executive team and serves on the firm's investment uh, investment committee. He He's worked exclusively in wealth management for 30 plus years in the St. Louis metropolitan area. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the hammer, Tim Hammett. Thanks for joining us today, Tim. Uh, I had to put a little MC Hammer. Here comes the hammer on for for this visit because it was just too appropriate. But this guy, an unbelievable business leader, but an incredible person uh, with just um, great attributes, uh, genuine, uh, authentic. I mean, let, just to put things in perspective here, when we came to the office today. Um, he he made us an, an incredible espresso, but we come to his office here. He, he like I said, he's been in the industry for over thirty years. Um, started this company with his business partner, and um, servant leadership to the fullest. We come to his office. We pass about uh, fifteen beautiful window offices, corner offices, you name it. And then he brings us to his corner, uh, uh, his back office in the middle of the, in the middle of the place, no windows, just taking care of those around him. Now, granted, he's probably going to take one of those back in the next week or so, but, but (laughs) it is, uh, it is unbelievable that, uh, that's the type of person we're dealing with here. So Tim, welcome to, uh, our show here. We appreciate you taking the time out. We know you're a busy guy, but, uh, but welcome to the show. Pete, Tim, what's going on, guys? Yeah, well, Tim. first of all, good morning, and thank you for having me. Of course. I think I'm going to start every day with that music yeah, as I Tim. wake up. I haven't heard it in a while. I, I should. You know, <laughs> if my nickname is The Hammer, how can I not start the day listening to MC Hammer? Oh, and I want to compliment your uh, display collection of hammers. Of Those are. I do have a collection of hammers. Uh, there's a story how I got that nickname. I was. 10 years old, and I used to play tennis as a child. My coach had taken the T's off the last part of my name, Hammett, H-A-M-M-E-T-T, put an R on, called me Hammer, and it's stuck ever since. So friends, family, clients will give me hammers as gifts. And so I now have a pretty impressive collection of hammers. And you don't even know what to do with a hammer. Well, you know what? That's a good question. (laughs) I've I've probably uh, should have learned how to use a hammer years ago, but yeah, that might be a good skill to have. That could be a new hobby as I age. Well, right now they're just nice displays. They're good displays. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, and like Chris said, um, very excited to have you today. You know, you and I have been friends for many years. Um, our families are close to each other, but I'm a, I'm I'm going to use this opportunity, man, to. To keep to keep learning from you, you've you've served as a mentor to me um, for many years, and and I'm I'm 
I'm guessing you you serve as a mentor to many people in this company. So tell me tell me about the the name Visionary. Like how how did that company how did that name uh, come about? That's a great question. I have one of my best friends and business partners, Brett Gilliland, the other co-founder of Visionary, and we've been in the industry many many years, uh, wealth management, financial planning, and as he and I talked, you know, the question was, can we have a better organization, a different culture, um, a different values uh, foundation. And so he and I talked, and over a period of months, we made the decision to start Visionary Wealth Advisors. And I'll never forget it because one day he called me, and we had a series of names that we thought about using. And then he said, what do you think about Visionary? We're planning out people's visions for the futures. And within probably... 30 minutes, uh, had sketched out a logo, the name, and it has stuck ever since. And we have very proud of it, but, uh, very thankful. It's a perfect name. Yeah. It's, it's great for, for many industries, but especially the industry you guys are in. As the, as the company matured, you know, then we were trying to have a, um, really our mantra really, or, or what is our purpose? And, we ended up settling on a future greater than your past. You know, what is love that? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I, uh, and, and you, you know, we, we've learned a lot about you. you. You and Pete have been, have been good friends for a long time. And, um, it's easy to, to look up your company and find out information about, uh, about the history of it and just, just you in the industry in general, you guys, you guys also, uh, your business partner is a host, but you've been a guest many times on your own podcast called The Circuit of Success. And uh, amazing guests, great content. If, if, if you're out there and you're listening to this, you have to check that out. It's a, it's a fantastic uh, podcast. There's video involved as well. So definitely check that out. Um, very well-known St. Louis guests, um, just Cardinals, uh, Larry Hughes, tons of sports leaders and business leaders. So to, to start where you started here, I mean, there has to be, you know, you have a big why you have, uh, three kids, I uh, believe. Yeah, I do. Yep. And, um, and were you from St. Louis as well? Were you born and raised here or did you come here from somewhere else? Yeah. A little bit about, I guess you'd say my life story. Um, I'm the youngest of four children in my family when I was raised. I have a sister and then uh, two other brothers. Dad was an engineer at a utility company. Uh, in the old days, we would call it Union Electric. Okay. Obviously, today, Amron UE. Got it. Mom was a stay-at-home mother and raised us children. We grew up south of St. Louis in a small town called Festus, about 45 minutes south. Didn't actually even grow up in Festus. We grew up on a small farm outside of Festus. Wow. The outskirts of Festus. Um, the outskirts of Festus. That's redundant. Yeah, it is, isn't <laughs> it? Yes. And, uh, you know, went to uh, high school in that area, um, ended up, again, playing sports, loved tennis and soccer, but chose to play soccer, uh, tennis in college, and then went to the University of Missouri-Columbia, graduated from Mizzou. You played tennis at Mizzou? I did, yep. Wow. Yep, I played tennis at junior college for two years and then at Mizzou for two years. And... Yeah. So the interesting story to that is, as a senior, I needed a career, and I had a finance degree. So I'm walking between 
my last class and then tennis practice was two hours later and I'm walking on the Mizzou campus. There was this building and it had a sign on the door, a handwritten note, internship seminar inside. And it was welcoming students to come in to learn about internship opportunities. They had a description. You can control your calendar, Mm. use your degree, um, unlimited income, you know, be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And me and one other student raised our hand to learn about it. And it was in the financial services industry. And so that was uh, back in 1992. And so when I graduated, I would have, you know, maybe gotten involved in tennis industry, could have been a a tennis coach, a teaching tennis pro, that kind of behavior, or a banker, or this industry. And I I said, well, let me try it, and have never looked back. It's probably one of the more, it's maybe the most difficult thing I've done professionally. Uh, They would always say, you know, you're overworked as a new professional, underpaid, and then as you age, if you're moral, ethical, a good person, and you take care of your customers, as you age, you might be overpaid and underworked. Mm-hmm. And so, yep, just celebrated the, uh, this will be the 33rd year in the industry. Um, we started Visionary Wealth Advisors. This is a pretty cool time, uh, exactly 10 years ago in March. So we'll have the 10-year anniversary. Congrats. That's, that's hard to do. You guys had a clear vision, and whenever you do have a clear vision, you can actually get to the destination. Not only can you get there, but you can get there quickly, and that's what you guys did. Um, and, and you know, there, there has to be some type of correlations. We talk often about the correlations between uh, sports and and entrepreneurship or leadership or business. They There's so many connections between those two. Do you find you... Um, especially with tennis. I mean, well, there's a lot of different things. There's, there's team sports where you, you got to lean on other people. And then there's individual sports where you really got to dig deep and it all comes down to you. Did you win or did you lose? Tennis is both. You have a team and you have individual. But did you, uh, do you find yourself uh, utilizing a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that you learned in sports when it comes to business? Or does it just happen naturally, something you don't really think about? Yeah, people who know me well, would probably laugh because I have certain uh, hammer, right? That's my nickname, hammer, hammer philosophies, and I will call them universal truths. I talk to my kids about this. I talk to young men and women that I mentor. So it has happened to work well for me, these universal truths. And the very first thing I would say to a young professional, which was really my element in my sports career, but then also for the professional world is, you know, Never be outworked by anybody else. Be the hardest working person in whatever you're doing. Um, Sports, uh, school, business. The other one that I would say, universal truth, is always have the highest ethics or morals. So I definitely was not, you know, the most talented, was not the smartest, was not, you know, the fastest or the strongest, didn't have the best business connections in the business world. None of those other variables, but there's two things that I would always, you know, go to bed every night striving for, be the hardest working person and never compromise ethics, have the highest ethics. Yeah. I mean, and, and also in this industry, delayed gratification. I mean, you, you know, 
it's it's hard in this day and age when everything is instant, everything is immediate. Yet you're learning about a career that says, "Hey, you're going to get over. You're going to get. You're going to work harder than you're getting paid for." Uh, but in the long term, you you can get overcompensated for the amount of work that you already put in. So, delayed gratification um, is something that you you don't see youth utilizing too much these days. But um, I think the reason that you were able to is because of your universal truths that you believed in. I know, I know just from, from, uh, reading about your background and whatnot, I know that your, um, your values consist of the three main traits of truth, respect, and humility. And obviously those go well in line with, um, with everything else that is in line with your mindset you know, your approach. And, and it sounds like um, with the longevity that you've had with your employees here, you're able to establish that type of a culture at this company. Yeah. And I think a comment one of you had made earlier, but it's, an, again, another truism. We become the people we surround ourselves with and then the books we read. Mm. I've heard that before. So I was unbelievably fortunate and blessed. I had met a mentor of mine, probably five years into my career. And uh, he had said to me that he was going to have a development, a professional development program if he would like me to participate within the wealth management industry. I said yes. And he introduced me to a business consultant. So I had a mentor and a business consultant. Um, mentor is Bob. And the business consultant's name was Ted. And I'm still very close to both of those two. I, I speak with Ted every week as a close friend. So one of the exercises we went through is they would say, well, what is most important in your life? You know, I'm a young professional person. I'm 28 years old at the time. And it, it probably took about three years, two and a half years, to define what was most important in my life. And what Ted had done with me, really going back to childhood, I think people's values or the, what they believe in, it's molded throughout their life. Either through joy or tragedy, there can be good things that have happened to people, there can be difficult times, and it forms you. And so we spent about two years talking through that, and the end result was what I seek in relationships or my core values, trust, respect, and humility. Mm. And there are stories behind each one of those. But uh, that's thanks to the work I've done with my business consultant and my mentor. You know, the market, the economic market is what it is, right? I mean, there are some, there might be some different strategies that someone could employ here or there. But at the end of the day, um, the market it has a mind of its own that, that's out of our control. Um, but within your company... Um, you've had to probably use some of those. You can't necessarily take what is most important to you and impose it on someone else, right? But you can help people in your company um, identify things for themselves so that whatever the market does really doesn't affect how they um, interact with your with your clients and how they feel about themselves. Are, some, are there any things you can share about um, maybe uh, strategies or techniques or training that you've done in-house just simply to 
help some of your younger um, advisors reflect on those things? Yeah, I think there's two parts to that answer. And I had to refine this even more. I need to embody those traits or values first. I need to treat others with respect. I need to be humble. I need to be uh, trustworthy. And my hope is if I'm treating others in that way, I might have earned the right to receive it back. It obviously cannot be commanded. It cannot be demanded. Uh, it must be earned. So that's the first truism. And then I think with any professional, whether they're young or advanced in their career, a skill set of listening, you know, I need to always work year after year after year, becoming a better listener. And I had sat in a course one time that focused on communication skills and listening skills. And this person taught me this. This was probably my first year in my career, and it has stuck with me ever since. When someone says something to you, Pete's laughing because he knows I do this with him. <laughs> this was my number one question today. I wanted to understand this. Is I will say back what the person said to me. So they might make a comment, and people, again, who are hearing this and know me, they will be laughing right now because it probably gets so redundant. I'll say, may I say back to you what you just said to me? The person will nod, and I try to repeat it back in their exact vernacular, their exact vocabulary, their tone, mm. to know, did I really hear it? So I would say those two things, you know, from a development standpoint is I need to embody values and serve others in that way. And then the other skill is I just got to be a good listener. I, 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 you're exactly right. I, I couldn't help but laugh when you started down that path. <laughs> I could tell exactly where you were going. Um, I find I have witnessed that um, characteristic of you and that technique of listening. It's you're speaking, but it's active listening, I suppose. Um, I have I I have every time I've met with you, I've walked away thinking I need to implement that in my own listening, and I haven't successfully done it yet. That means we need to meet more, perhaps. Absolutely. Uh, but I do I do find that. It's. It seems unusual when you're describing it now, but it's very powerful because I know he heard what I said, or I know I have to emphasize something different or create a distinction in what I'm saying. So your that technique, if that's what you learned many years ago, works. It's effective. I think if people are heard, genuinely heard, you know, sincerely listened to, it is such, it's calming, it's fulfilling. That's probably 80% of, uh, of feelings and emotions. We could still disagree, and I might not be able to fulfill what the person has asked. But if they're heard... It is so, uh, it's meaningful to a relationship, whether it's my wife, whether it's my children, um, business associates like you, friends like you, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, imagine if that practice was being used in text messages. 
I'm now going to repeat to you what I just read on your text message. I think the tone many times yeah, might be a, a significant variation on what the intention was. That's a great point. You could put the uh, what you heard, quote-unquote, tone in parentheses. I'm going to say it back to you. Distressed. Excited. I, I, I try and do that with my wife sometimes, but it usually comes out like, what I just heard is you're upset. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> and I should probably <laughs> take a we'll, walk. We'll listen later. Okay. So, but no, a, a great practice because, I mean, think about it. People, especially this day and age, I mean, people hear what they want to hear or people aren't listening. But like you said, part of it is somebody's no, it, it, it solidifies that I did hear you. Mm-hmm. And you can correct me if I heard you inaccurately, right. but uh, mm-hmm. but it that's uh, communication is a big barrier in many things. And if you can if you can um, make the communication clear, then you could accomplish a lot more in business, in relationships, in everything. So yep. communication is key because uh, things get misinterpreted quite often based on tone, based on words, based on dot 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 or emojis. Yeah, <laughs> emojis exactly. Um, <clears throat> I, I noticed you do you did something as we walked from the lobby to your office, and it was it reminded me of something that one of my first professional mentors um, taught me, and it stuck with me. If you are in your office and or in your office suite and you see a paperclip on the ground, then should you walk <laughs> by the paperclip since it wasn't placed there by you or since there are millions of other paperclips available? Or should you stop, pick up the paperclip and return it to its place? I don't know if you picked up a paperclip or a stray piece of paper or what, but you stopped and I immediately thought of that and I thought to myself... I'm not surprised. So <laughs> tell me, is that, can you um, embrace what I just said, like in terms of, you know, your mindset? Absolutely. Um, I'm smiling because there's, there's a simple practical answer and then there's maybe a philosophy uh, behind it is yes, people who know me would think uh, I'm probably minorly OCD and a clean freak. Um, Nobody says that about you. Nobody says minor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a major. He's got problems. Hammer's got problems. Um, yes, I think I have three, besides my core values, I have three personal beliefs. And I distinct, I make them distinct and separate really from the core values and personal responsibility, personal growth, and we are not victims personal responsibility, personal growth. We are not victims. So a friend asked me, well, how do you distinct, how how do you make a distinction between those two? So I think my personal beliefs guide my daily decisions and the core values are the foundation of my relationships. Hmm. So an odd way to get to the answer personal responsibility if I see something and something's out of place if there's a problem if um, something needs to be cleaned 
and you can use that, you know, really hypothetically for all parts of your life, your health, um, your, your mental outlook, your emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, whatever it might be. Most especially your workspace, this is, it's almost like a home. We ask a lot of our team members, you know, and, and associates and employees of the firm. We spend more time, every, every working professional really does, with your work associates than you do at home. You, you've heard that. You've probably seen studies on that. So they are here. The majority of their life is in this space. It's a home. And you would want to keep your home clean. So, And then the, the personal belief of personal responsibility, if you walk by it, don't ignore it. Mm-hmm. And people will actually probably think it's, it's odd. I do that if I'm walking in the halls of the building lobby. I did it the other day at the exercise gym that I work out at. Because you got to think, that's somebody else's business. There's some company that owns this building, a real estate firm. I know the gym owner that owns the exercise facility that I, I work out at. Well, that's his business. And I hope someone else would do that for me if they see something um, out of place to take care of it, even if it's not their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we've all heard the saying about, you know, if you're going to cut down a tree, you need to you need to sharpen your axe for three hours, and then you cut down the tree for 20 minutes. And it mm-hmm. seems like you spend and have spent a, a fair amount of time just la- uh, creating a blueprint for um, – how to act and how to react in life. I mean, be proactive. That that's part of being proactive because now if you if you run in, when you run into a situation that is on the border or you you know you might be doing this you might be doing that you'll catch yourself in a feeling and then you can go back to your blueprint on your core values. Yes. And then it gives you very clear direction. Oh well, based on my core values, this is the decision I have to make. And um, very important on on the preparation and the time spent doing that and also uh, reaching out to mentors and keeping in contact with them. I mean, it's a work in progress. We all talk about doing that, but to be able to do it consistently and realizing that it's ongoing, it's continuous, it's always something we're going to be working on is, um, is half the battle. I mean, also I want to talk a little bit about when you, when you're going on those core values and, and, uh, and belief system, you know, in this type of an industry, um, there are certainly people that could have uh, glimpses of immediate success. But many times, when you're starting this at 22, right out of college, you, um, you know, had, I, I'm going to venture to say that there there had to be some amount of uh, you know, there, there's barriers that you had to break through and, and failures um, did you, how did, did you use these core values when it came to getting past that to be successful? Because I know with the great, the delayed gratification aspect of it, but you know, one, one, uh, definition of success that I've heard several times that I agree with is failure over and over again without losing enthusiasm. And eventually you, you know, you get to that place where, where you just, you keep going, but what type of, um, you know, what type of failures or obstacles did you have to go through when you first started in the business at age 22, right out of college without any experience? 
Yeah, but that's a great question. Um, I used to live in South St. Louis, uh, Crondelet, Holly Hills area as a young worker, young professional. And my office was in downtown St. Louis off of Market Street when I first started my career. Well, it's a spring morning, um, a very quick story. I'm driving to work. You know, I'm probably four years into my career at this time. And as I'm driving to work, it's uh, a beautiful sunny day. It's probably late April, early May. Sun shining, 75 degrees in the morning, beautiful day. You can see kids walking to school. And as I'm driving to work, I felt this headache. I had a headache. And it's a you know pretty bad headache. And I asked myself, why do I have a stress headache at 7 in the morning on a beautiful day? I'm a young, healthy person. Something's wrong. And then I said, well, where is this coming from? Well, the relationship with my clients, not to their fault. This is the situation I was in as a young financial um, sales rep. It was very transactional. 30 years ago, you would sell a product, some financial service or product, you'd receive a commission. It was very um, commoditized and transactional. It wasn't a relationship. It was a sales consulting transaction. And, you know, you you go to a meeting. Um, there's There's got to be humor in life, right? There's got to be comical moments. You drive up to a, a prospective client's house, and it's, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. You're a young financial advisor. It's far away. It's a 60-minute drive one way. You get there. The porch light is on. You knock on the door. You're there to have the meeting. You can see the curtain slightly open, and then it shuts. The porch light gets turned off, and they don't answer the door. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm literally being stood up in the moment, and they know I'm here on this winter evening. It wasn't a relationship that I sought. It felt terrible. Then you can see this evolved into meeting, I think, some divine intervention. Met my mentor um, at a business conference. He offers this training, this mentorship to guide me. I meet Ted. Ted says, well, what is your problem in your life? And I said, well, my professional relationships are terrible. I hate them. Why do you hate them? I said, well, people don't return my phone call. You can see where this starts to evolve. I say, well, he said, do they trust you? I said, no, they don't. I mean, to be frank, it, it's very um, tense, right? Mm -hmm. Cautionary. Next question, he says, do they respect you? You can see the, the core values, trust, respect, humility. It was very interesting when he asked me the question about respect. And I said, no, I don't think they do. And he said, well, here's a little bit more of a deeper question. He goes, do you respect yourself? And I paused. And at that time, my confidence was very low. Self-esteem is low. Um, professional success, very average, moderate. And I said, no, I don't think I do. And he goes, well, what person do you have to become for growth, self-development, so that you do respect yourself? Once you do, you might have the earned right that others might respect you. Wow. So... As as a young person, I mean, it was uh, it was very difficult, and there's many industries like that today, mm. big time. Yeah, I mean the the feeling of the wish fulfilled. People say there's a shortcut that you could get there if you just can assume the feeling 
as if you had that respect uh, and you had that trust. If you could assume that feeling right off the bat and then you could uh, nurture those relationships and, and everything would be great, that's, that's wonderful. However, most of the time for humans, you, uh, it's, it's too hard to just assume the feeling of that wish already being fulfilled. You have to take the steps. If I'm going to correlate it to sports, because it's kind of what we do on this show a lot is like, if you're not getting the time that you want, or you're not getting the, you're not getting the, um, praise that you want or the recognition that you think you might want. Um, if you, if you, uh, weren't working out every day and all of a sudden you, you work out on a regiment specific to what you want to improve on and you're doing also a certain amount of push-ups and you're also educating yourself on the sport and you're also watching closely somebody that you want to emulate and you do that consistently and persistently, not for a day or two, but you do it for a persistent period of time, then it's much easier to assume that feeling and then you do become a magnet and things come to you. It's just the way it works. It happens every single time. You're looking forward to going into that practice as opposed to, oh, I got practice or I got a game. You're looking forward to it because you feel like you feel prepared. You're ready to go. So once you do work on any of those things, business aspect as well, then um, we experience it all the time. It's just in, in sports, in life, in relationships and everything. But it's a great, great story that... Um, We've all experienced in some capacity. And, uh, and, and then at that point, what did you do? Well, I, I needed to become an academic, you know, intellectual, sharp financial planner. I'm young, so it's difficult because I don't have life uh, experience. I don't have as much life wisdom if I'm trying to give advice to people older than me. I don't have as much wisdom as they do. So I need to have some academic knowledge. So then I ended up committing, you know, to every 90 days, um, taking a professional development class. It was, it's a basically college credit class every 90 days for three and a half years. And I would get up in the morning. Um, again, what are my two traits? I can work really hard and hopefully have good morals. You know, I think, I think I'm intellectual, you know, from this um, IQ standpoint, but that wasn't, you would say, a natural gift. I had to grind it out. So you wake up at 5, you study from 5 to 5.30 a.m., um, you exercise. I needed to exercise. I was married at the time. We were having our children. We were having babies. And I did that for three and a half years. And you put the time in. I'll go back to one of your comments about sports. I'm fascinated and and absolutely love watching talented people in whatever industry but even specifically sports because it's very easy to see you're right you see my business partner is an extremely good golfer collegiate golfer um you watch good tennis players i used to coach high school tennis and you see some young student athletes that are very talented well when you ask them tell me a little bit about your past well, they could have been playing that sport. As you know, this is nothing new since, you know, maybe age six or seven. Golfers, they go, you hear this all the time, right? We don't see them at the driving range or the golf course hitting two, three, four, five hundred balls, right? You, when you play tennis, 
you can get a shopping cart, like from the grocery store. A lot of coaches will have a shopping cart. Well, you can keep 500 tennis balls in a shopping cart. And you might work on one technique, one stroke. And you might do two or three sets of shopping carts. Well, when you ask a young student how long you've been doing that, a young athlete, well, that young boy or girl could have been doing it for two to three to five to ten years. And it's the same. doesn't matter what it is. I had another young man that I knew, um, and they were from um, – they were from Europe, and their family had this history of being extremely good piano players, pianists. And his brother, the objective was to be a top five pianist in the world. There's a competition, kind of like the World Series of Piano. Hmm. And I asked him, what does it take to do that? Well, and he would tell me his story, and the condensed answer is, you know, when you're five or six, hour a day, when you get to be eight or nine, two to three hours a day when you 10 to 11 to 12 it's six plus hours a day and I asked him I said well how many years did you do that and he goes for the six to seven hours a day you know it was over eight years and I said how many days would you take off a year and he would say sometimes we potentially take two days off a year (laughs) so you think I mean that student is practicing piano six to seven hours a day for over a 10-year period of time, two days off. (laughs) No one would do that. I mean, no one does it. You don't do that with a hobby, uh, something joyful, like, you know, playing your favorite sport or... What would that person, did they love the piano? They did, but yet it's it's a toll, right? That is the professional level um, Mm -hmm. performer, you know, and his brother has making it to this World Series of piano but and then again what's a, what's interesting about that he did um th- this friend he he played a symphonic piece for me and it was i've never seen anybody perform like that you know i, I don't attend many musical events but you could see the pedigree of who he was point being is it's the end result of decades of work right athletes um, academia, you know, arts, performing mm-hmm. arts. The $10,000 or the 10,000 hour. That's right. You know, uh, that's you know, right. I, I, yeah, I, not to, not to like disclose client confidences in any regard, but at this level in your, uh, professional career, you've certainly, and, and especially in the wealth management industry, you probably encounter a lot of high-performing individuals, right? Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. you get to be impressed over and over with people's achievements. Um, some people inherit money. Some people uh, create their own over time, and and it's generally from this this routine and this this level of effort that you've been describing. Or, you know, as you um, and you kind of touched on exercise of the body and and the exercise of the mind, of course, and different aspects but like are there things that you can say today um you know as you're at this stage of your life not only your career but are there some are there some mental exercises that you that you just you don't compromise and you have to perform all the time whether it's a whether it's a routine of some sort that yes i have to do this i have to and i'm saying it might be as simple as if I don't wake up by six or if I 
um, don't read one article a day? Is there any kind of exercise that you can, maybe you don't even know that you consciously do it, but as you reflect back, is there something you say, wow, I do do that every time and I don't feel right if I don't do it. Yes. (laughs) And again, my, probably my wife and children would be the ones that would laugh the most about this. They see me every day. And even the people who work with me here, um, I did an exercise with some teammates at the beginning of the year as we were doing goal planning for the year. And for me, again, I'm extremely simple and I'm extremely pragmatic. Um, so we had four categories and we asked them to rank these four categories of what level of happiness or fulfillment you might be in, at this moment. So, you know, one was physical health. Another one was their relationships. One was their professional success. And then the other, the final one was financial, their financial um, success or how they feel with their uh, stability. And I said, if you can rank it, what is one action step you can take to move that needle 1%? You know, they don't need to grow Mm -hmm. 20 or 30 or 60%. They could literally just grow 1%. And so when I think of myself, another person, you know, many people have have understood, you know, our habits dictate our future. So people who know me would chuckle and laugh because, you know, I'll always set the alarm for 5 a.m. in the morning. That's what time I get up. And then, you know, I have this routine of four days a week exercising at the same time in the morning. I always do it in the morning. Uh... Sunday nights, and this sounds so rote and so boring, right? But I jokingly say, you know, as us men age, you know, bald men don't look good when they're out of shape. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the one thing I can control is what I eat. I make all my meals for the week. We better write that down. Yeah, the bald men part. (laughs) Yeah. Short, bald men, I go. should say. Yeah. That's the one thing. We are look good. extinct breed. Out of shape. <laughs> yeah, we should maybe have died off. I don't know. So you uh, make your meals for what period of time on Sunday night? I, I make them for the whole week, you know, on Sunday night. What do you mean your meals? And this is, again, this will make you <laughs> chuckle. So I carry this uh, little black Adidas lunchbox. It's like a soft pack lunchbox we were shopping uh, in target years ago you know for back to school supplies kids needed supplies you walk by the section for lunch boxes i need a new lunchbox i get this lunchbox and i put the same thing in it which is ridiculously boring breakfast lunch afternoon snack you know seven days a week it's the same thing you know it's fruits vegetables and some uh, protein because I just know I'm aging, right? And and it's not getting easier. It doesn't show. It, well, <laughs> you know what? I'll take that compliment. I'll take any kind of shameless compliment I can get. But it doesn't get easier. And I just know if I don't have a routine and a habit, mm. I'm hungry. It's the middle of the day. Mm. I don't have food. And you can see, I think, in life how a lot of these things interact. If, if I wasn't paying attention to that, I'd probably use my credit card or my bank card. I need to go spend money that probably I didn't need to spend buying some food. I probably didn't need to buy, which was not necessarily healthy for me. I'm probably 
feeling lethargic because I ate some bad food, I'm probably not going to get up the next morning at 5 o'clock or 5.30. I'm probably not going to exercise. And now I'm late for work. I don't have time to make my lunch hmm. to get ready to go to work. And I'm probably late for my first meeting. I'm, I'm being an exaggeration yeah. when I say that, but and that's a microcosm of life, right? So habits, routine. I have some simple things. And, you know, I have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I try to do as as a good a job as I can as a parent, but a lot of times I I like to share the responsibility with the Hammett family. So whenever Lexi says uh, she wants to go visit her <laughs> her best pal Rachel, I am all for that, and hopefully she'll develop some better habits over there. So I appreciate all the the exposure she's had to, and I think Lexi's actually. Um, uh, confided in me in, in that routine that you engage in. So uh, she, she must have been. She there. was probably laughing hilariously as she came home and said, Dad, you won't believe well, what I saw. If I know Mr. Lexi, then she was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She yes. usually laughs at anyone's. Um, well, yeah. At anyone's. anyone's idiosyncrasy. At, at anyone. Yeah. Just laugh at the of it. Right. And I will say, uh, for the record, if I could adopt a second daughter besides my daughter, it would be Lexi. Uh, I consider that Sweetest binding. Sweetest young woman. I appreciate uh, it. Our kids have been very fortunate to remain great pals through grade school and, and high school and uh, certainly a blessing, you know. And, and you have t- two very fine young sons, older sons. Uh, I think you have one graduating from college. Just in a few weeks. Amazing. That's like 13, true. 14 weeks. First college graduate. Congrats. Yes. That's right. Yes. Maybe hey. come back and be a teacher here in St. Louis. Nice. Yeah. That's Great amazing. profession. It's a wonderful profession. Very yeah. noble. Yes. I would go back to school. I've engaged with his son uh, many times in some in-depth conversations. And yes. uh, I might might have a new tuition on my hands if his, son's a, <laughs> if his son becomes a teacher. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Tim, um, you kind of like, you kind of have given us like... Um, just tremendous insight into the things that move you personally. And I think about it in this context of this office, because your, your, your firm has grown quite a bit, right? Since, since it's originated, what, how many offices do you have? Uh, I think we have seven offices now for, uh, different states, Wow, you know, Missouri, Kansas, Illinois, and Florida. Florida. Yep. And, and how many, um, employees within that? Yeah, we've got about 35 uh, financial advisors um, and about 15 uh, staff uh, partners, staff associates. And I don't, I don't just say that for the numbers, be, but what I say that for is just some observation about how some of these, uh, what everyone's universal truth may be different, right? And everyone's core values may are likely different, um, and their personal values may be different, but. If we can get people to start, all of us, to start thinking about those concepts and embracing them and recognizing some importance of them, not only in our work, but it carries over into everything we do, whether, like you said, we're working out, we're at the store, um, or any, or we're just going home. And so I, I just, I love the idea of, of you embodying it and hopefully translating to people in your organization and then they take it from there, right? So we're not just 
there's not just the financial component here that we're talking about, not just financial success. Of course, you've had that, and, and you know, that's, that's one reason you're recognized, but I know people recognize you for so many more things than financial success, and I'm, I'm expecting and hoping and believing that that, is, that translates to other people in this organization and beyond, and that's why we're here. Um, very appreciative of what you offer this world. Well, thank you. And I, I, I tell people all the time, I think I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world. And my clients, you know, from the traditional um, wealth management sense, obviously we will always need to deliver our professional duties and obligations. There's no question about that, right? There's a very strict line that we always uh, have to deliver. In addition to that, I would say every single one of these clients or customers are are friends. You know, we care about them um, in an emotional, social, relationship manner. And same thing for the team members. You know, I, I will always say it's, it's really, a, you might say it's an inverted, you know, pyramid. Team associates, um, staff members, any of those people, they're on top. Mm-hmm. Our job is is to serve them. If they are not fulfilled, they're not happy, they're not thriving, um, the company will literally fail. Right. If we do not have customers that are being fulfilled, we will fail. You know, the only reason, I always joke, but the only, it's not a joke. I have a home. I can sleep in my home. I've got a car I can drive. I've got food I can eat. That only comes from those team members and those customers. Uh we have to serve them, but I'm uh, the luckiest guy in the world because they're they're friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you could tell it's clear um, with the type of growth and and um, just with your with your personality and from the employees here that I know that uh, that that same belief system is throughout the company here at Visionary. Yep. Um, and uh, I know we, we've taken up uh, a lot of your time. Um, we will, uh, anybody have any other final thoughts? Yeah, I, I just, final thought today is, uh, as always, I feel better than I did when I walked in this to, to, to Hammer's presence. So Hammer time is valuable time. I appreciate it, buddy. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's an honor. You know, it, it's just an absolute, you guys are close friends, good people, and um just grateful, gratitude, thanks. That's what we got. Thanks, brother. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and uh, what, I, what I heard you say there <laughs> Let me say it back to you. <laughs> if we, Pete and I, are going to lose our hair, we better start working out. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs>